so our topic the past two weeks has been on stewardship. We looked at it in general with the understanding that God is the divine owner of all things as the creator and specifically ourselves as our redeemer who purchased him purchased to himself us. And everything that we have is his. And we are to use it for two main purposes, that is to glorify and praise him. Last week we looked specifically at how can we steward our finances. And this morning I'd like to look at how we steward our time. Stewardship of time. Again, in the context, our purpose is to glorify and praise God. So how are we glorifying and praising God in our using time? You know, remember stewardship, the working definition we're using is the responsible and careful management of something entrusted to me. In this case, we're looking at the entrustment of the time. Okay? Your times are completely in the Lord's hands. Every breath Every heartbeat, every new minute is a new gift. None of it was promised. So how are we using it? Okay. So I'd like to look at a couple verses to get us thinking in the right uh, frame of mind. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 and in verse 16 says, uses the expression redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now we're jumping in mid-clause and we know we don't want to do that. So we'll read the whole sentence. Back in 15 it says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So if we are not redeeming the time and we're walking without a sober-minded head, then we're acting foolish. But to redeem the time and to walk circumspectly is to be wise. Be wise. Redeeming the time. What does that word redeem mean? It means, literally it means to buy up. To buy up the time. But figuratively it has the idea of to rescue from loss. Do you ever have time that's just lost? That's just wasted. It just seems to fritter away. Well, the idea here is you're being intentional with your time and how you're using it. Using it in wisdom, sober-mindedly, and ultimately you're serving your purposes, right? Your purpose to glorify and praise God. So redeem the time, for the days are evil. Okay? The days are evil here, and time is precious here. One day will be where the days are not evil. And time won't matter anymore. Because there's no limit. But here it's finite. There is a definite amount. You have a definite amount of heartbeats and breaths that you're going to take in this time while the days are evil. These evil days are not going to encourage you to follow the Lord. They're going to hinder you. Satan will do everything in his power to trip you up, to discourage you, to veer you off the path of righteousness. The days are evil. So don't expect the culture around you to be an encouragement to you in you following the Lord. You've got to be contrary to it. Going against the flow. Kids, you remember that little song about steer, steer, steer your ship? Against the worldly tide, right? If you're going down the Mississippi, it's pretty easy to go with the flow, right? You're going to end up in the Gulf. If you're going against that tide, you've got to have some pretty powerful force, right? Those big old paddle boats and those big old wheels churning, and they had to burn a lot of coal, I guess, to power it. And if you ran out of coal, that thing stopped and it'd float back. Right? So you need to be going against that flow of the world pushing you down, and you need to be pursuing the Lord the whole time. Redeeming the time, for the days are evil. Okay, and again, the concept here we're going to be looking at is the stewardship of this time. The careful and responsible management of the Lord's time. Does it belong to you? 
No, nothing belongs to you. It's all His. But it's been entrusted to you to use it for His glory. So redeem the time, for the days are evil. If you go um, to Colossians, so two books over, Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, and in verse 5, you get the same expression used again. Colossians 4 and 5, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Earlier we talked about walking wise, wisdom, not foolishly, for the days are evil. Here it says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without, redeeming the time. Those that are without, that's referring to those that are outside of the church. That refers to how you're governing yourself. Are you being a good and godly example outside when you're not just here? Are you allowing their influence, the worldly influence, to change what you do or say? You need to be wise. The foolish man is led any old way, but the wise man knows where he's headed and governs himself accordingly. So walk in wisdom towards them that were without redeeming the time. Again, to rescue that time from loss. All right. In our time from James, go to James real quick. James chapter 4, we had the admonition not to just blatantly make plans for the future and say, this is what we're going to do. All right. James 4, 13 through 15 says, Go to ye that say, so this is an individual who's saying, Today or tomorrow, we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Okay? How often do y'all make plans? Well, I'm going to do this, and in this many years, this is what's going to happen. Right? Do we know the future? Do we know what will happen? No. It says, Whereas ye know not what will be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. Right? You're boiling tea out there. you got one little steam bubble come up. You see that gas? And then, whew, you ever going to see it again? Nope. It's gone. That's your entire life summed up there. It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And so the point of all this is, is tomorrow promised? No. So everything we're doing, planning in the future has to be if the Lord allows me to live, and it pleases the Lord, we'll do such and such. But tomorrow is not promised. Y'all, how often do we act like it is? Redeeming the time now. You can't redeem tomorrow's time. You don't know if that will be given. But you've been given this minute, this heartbeat, this morning, to glorify and praise your God. Now, if tomorrow's not promised and I'm only given this heartbeat, what does that mean could happen? I could die! So we need to have a proper perspective about death. As Christians, that's not something you have to be afraid of. Everybody got real quiet. Right? I heard one amen. But Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Let me tell you why. Hebrews 2 we're going to jump in in verses 13 and 14. Describing the children that have been given to Jesus. Behold, I and the children which God hath given me. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, you and I, we are flesh and blood, He also himself, Jesus himself, likewise took on part of the same. He came into this world, born of the virgin. He took on humanity, right? He took on flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, destroy the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You were in bondage to sin and the fear of death. But Jesus Christ came into this world. And He was a victorious Savior. 
without a question, without an asterisk, without any buts, ifs, ands, or thens, or maybes, Jesus came and accomplished the mission that he set out to do, is that he shall save his people from their sins, Matthew one twenty one, and he did! And so, when you die, your spirit goes to heaven, you'll be with glory, and when he comes back, and all the last trump, and everything's wrapped up, however that looks like, I don't exactly know, but I know he's going to do it, then we'll have our reuniting with our bodies that went to the dirt, they will be changed, they will be immortal bodies, and they'll be reunited with your spirit, and that's where you'll be for forever. So do you have to fear death? No! In this world, when people say, well, you need to start living like you're dying, they mean start serving yourself because you may not have an opportunity to serve yourself tomorrow. That is not at all what I'm advocating. I'm saying live like you're dying because you are dying. Man's born to die. So today is the day that you get to serve God. You get to glorify Him. You get to praise Him. And everything that He's given you for the purpose of glorifying and praising Him, use it! Now! Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till when such and such, when I'm in a different season of life, when I've got this, when I'm not that stressed, when whatever your excuse is, no, now. Serve now. I don't have to be afraid of death. The fact that it might not be, you know, tomorrow's not promised, I don't have to fear that. You know, I could get cancer today and I could be gone tomorrow and you know what it'd be sad for y'all I'd be better off that's what Paul would say is to 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 live is Christ to serve Christ but to die that's great gain great gain and so yes we're sad when we lose somebody it's because we miss them being with us here but we don't have to be sad for them they don't need your sadness they're not sad. <laughs> they're with their Savior, and they're perfectly happy, perfectly content. They don't have any of the infirmities that we have. They're infinitely better off, and we will be infinitely better off. But we are given a precious commodity of time here to serve God. So how are we using it? Or are we wasting it? Okay? So... Sometimes we get lethargic. Sometimes we get sleepy. Sometimes in our Christian walk, we just kind of check out and float along. So go to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and that knowing that the time, and knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. There is an urgency to wake up from this stupor, from this idleness, from the lethargy, you know, the sin and things of this world, the cares of the world. It can just weigh you down and weigh you down and weigh you down until all you're seeing is just the problems that are around you. And that's all you see. My, my, my physical health, my, my problems, whatever they are. And I lose sight of why I'm here. I'm here because a God of the universe wanted me to exist. And He gave me new life. So now that I know that He exists, and I can believe what He said and what His Son did, and I can serve Him fervently because He's promised me that He's going to give me a massive inheritance that I can't even really comprehend, and that's what I'm looking forward to. And so all the problems of this world are just peanuts, right? Or Cracker Jacks. But, you know, that was, was, everything here is just so insignificant compared to Him and compared to what He's promised us. And so, knowing the time. Well, what's the time? That means the time could be Christ coming now. Right? I may not even finish this sermon. That would be great for y'all. Right? Because then you just say, there it is! Alright! And everything is infinitely better for every child. Every child of God. So now is the high time to awake out of sleep. So, if you're sleeping in your Christian walk this morning, if you're sleeping in the pew this morning, wake up! Now is the time. Alright? So, over in Matthew 12 and 13, there is this kind of scary, or maybe sobering would be a better word. Matthew 12 and 13. Description about what will have to happen regarding the idle words that we've spoken. 
Matthew 12 and 36. Well, 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Okay. We talked about counting as a, a stewardship concept. If we have to give an account of idle words spoken, that which is vain or worthless, do you think there's going to be an accounting for the idle minutes? The ones that were wasted, that were frittered, that were pursuing the lust of the flesh, that were bringing shame to God's name? I think we need to be very cautious and wise in how we spend the Lord's minutes that He's given us. Not to allow them to just be idly wasted. Okay? When we were at Brother Frank's uh, last Sunday, he made a comment that was, you know, he makes a lot of funnies, trying to just quips, and, but, but he made a very serious comment about we have to be careful about what we're teaching. We're all teachers. And either we're setting a good example for someone, or we're not. <laughs> we're setting a bad example. Okay, and so, can someone look at my life and say, that's a good example of using the Lord's time? Or do they have to look at me as someone of, don't follow that. That's a bad pattern. Okay. Again, remember, our purpose here. Why am I here? You're here to glorify and praise God. That's why you're here. And so what you spend your time on should do that. It should glorify Him, and you should be praising Him in it. All right. That's the allotted time that we have. It should be in accordance with His will. And how do you find out what that is? In accordance with His Word. It's not your subjective emotion. Okay? So we need to be in the Word. All right, so let's talk about prioritization. How do we figure what comes first? How do we build from what we got and then what gets left, right? This is, this is a process we all do consciously or unconsciously when we're building out our schedule for the day. I've got a certain amount of time. If I was awake all day, I think it's 1,440 minutes. You should not be awake for 24 straight hours. That's not wise, as we'll see. But assuming that you've slept eight hours, you've got 960 minutes left. How do you allocate that time? What comes first? Okay. I'm going to charge you and say that God has to come first. An idol is anything that you put ahead of God in your life. And so if you're not putting God first in your life, whatever you are putting, that's the idol that you need to tear down. That's the thing you love more than God. That's the thing you're more concerned about than God. If you say, well, I'm devoted to, and it's anything other than God, do you know what devoted means? I worship. It does. Okay? Putting God first. And that's, that's explicit in our instructions in Matthew 6, 33. Let's turn there and look at that. Matthew 6 and 33. But seek ye first. First meaning not only first in time, but primary in importance. Seek ye first two things. The kingdom of God and His righteousness. What are you to seek first? What are you supposed to use your time first with? The kingdom of God and God's righteousness. To seek it. To seek it. Seek can literally mean to worship. Okay? We can understand that. That's what we're trying to do here this morning. It can also mean to desire the thing that you're interested in, the thing that you're seeking after, the thing that you want to know more about, the thing that you want to do, you want to please. It can also mean to inquire. Lord, what would you have me to do? Okay, So the kingdom of God. Go to Matthew 13 and 44. There's a parable here. Matthew 13 and verse 44. <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven 
is like unto a treasure hid in a field, that which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. So this man, in the parable, imagine he's walking out in the field, and he finds this wonderful treasure. He puts it back in the field. He go finds out who owns the field, and he says, I want to buy that field from you. And whatever the price was, he buys it. He sells everything else that he had in his life because that field became the most important thing to him. Okay? You may say, well, that's kind of strange. You know, why does he love treasure that much? Well, the point is, that's how our love should be for the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of God. That everything else in our life, we should be willing to lay it aside to pursue that first. Okay? That's kind of radical. It's not even kind of. It is radical. That is a level of love and devotion that's higher than what I and you are doing now. Okay? It was the most important. All the other stuff was behind it. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But not only that, you're also seeking God's righteousness Himself. Okay? Go to Matthew 5 and 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to this. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after what? After after food and drink? After care and security? After no. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. After God's righteousness. Wanting that righteousness in their life. And what does it say? They shall be filled. Filled with the righteousness of God. Seeing the righteous path. Walking down it with the other members of kingdom of heaven. They desire, they hunger and thirst for His righteousness. Brothers and sisters, we need to hunger and thirst for God's righteousness in our life and in how we spend our time. So how do you spend those 1,400 minutes in the 24-hour day? Or how do you spend that 960 that you're awake? I would submit to you that as you're building your daily and weekly schedule, the first thing you need to build in is that when you wake up, you spend time with the Lord. You need to personally commune and worship and praise your Lord. Not for your spouse's benefit, not for your children's benefit, not for anybody else other than what He has done for you and that He's the most important in your life. Go to Psalm 63. Psalm 63 and in verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. Psalm 63 and verse 1. It says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Are you hungering and thirsting for your God? Are you desiring to seek Him early? Or is He something we just kind of give lip service to? Seek the Lord early. Let it be the first thing. As you're starting to build, what's the most important use of my time? Use my time directly in communing with the Lord. Now, I won't turn there, but in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, Jesus would leave His disciples and He would rise well before dawn 
And he would go out to be by himself and he would pray with the Father. Who had a closer connection with the Father than Jesus? Right? And yet he still took time to go by himself and pray. I don't think there was a time where he didn't have a direct communication, but he still took time to go apart by himself and pray. And he did it early. So, as first things first, this would be a first. The priority, this should be high. Okay? So that direct communing with the Lord, you're fellowshipping with Him. Okay? In prayer. But not only in prayer, you've got to have time in His Word. Go to Romans chapter 1. If you're seeking God's righteousness, seek His kingdom as righteousness. That's the command. That's, that's not a suggestion. <laughs> God didn't say, if you feel like it, if it's convenient, seek. No, it's never going to be convenient. Not by the world standard, not by your own human standards. But in Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. All right, we're talking about the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, what's the therein? In the gospel. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Where are you going to learn the most about the righteousness of God? In His Word. In the Gospel. In the Good News. Well, I just feel so close to God when I'm out in the fishing boat and, you know, seeing nature. Nature's great. You can learn and you can appreciate His creation, but that's not where you're going to learn the most about God's righteousness. Right? In His Word. The righteousness of God revealed in His Word. Also over in 1 Peter 2 and 2. And y'all know this reference. 1 Peter 2 and 2 is that you should desire, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the Word. Why? That you may grow thereby. Well, part of that's recognition is that we got some growing to do. We're not fully grown. Paul would say he hadn't attained there yet. He wasn't perfect yet. He was still following after And Paul's way farther down the road than I am. There's growth. How are we going to grow? Desire the sincere milk of the Word. That word sincere, it means unadulterated, pure, undeceitful. Is there anything else in this world that you can go and look at and know, this is pure. This doesn't have any error. It's it's undeceitful. There's nothing else. But you have it. Go to it. Desire it. Build your time in prayer, and in seeking the world. Go to the very first psalm. very first psalm. Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and verse 1. See if I can get to it. There's Job. There it is. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Okay, these are... The man, he's blessed if he's not doing these things. What's verse 2? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Delight, pleasure. Psalm 1, verse 2, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Are you going to meditate on something you're not reading? Are you going to meditate on something that you know is not important to you? You don't really care. But you know who wrote the Word, all of it, and you know it's written for you. Read it. Delight in it. Meditate on it. Spend your time in a way that glorifies and praises God. Do you think any minute where you're spent reading God's Word is a wasted minute? Now, sometimes I can get woefully distracted, but that's not my efforts in the Word that's wasted. It's my distractions. So put God first. So that's that's our personal communion and seeking God first with our time. Very important. I think Scripture is very clear on that. Okay? What about outside of ourselves? How are we putting God first? Well, that's worshiping God with others. Right? That's what we're doing here this morning as you're building out your week and your time of Is the assembly of the saints called out assembly? That's that's the definition of a church. Are they meeting together to worship the Lord? If they are, let me be there. That's a great use of my time. 
If I'm choosing to do anything else in place of it, I'm choosing a second or third or fourth priority over the first. How about family devotion? That's a good use of time with others. How about taking opportunities to gather in fellowship with other saints? This is not formal corporate worship, but this is time of I'm taking time to get together to know that I can encourage somebody, they can encourage me, and that we can both walk closer to the Lord together. That concept of iron and sharpened irons, guess what? That probably is unpleasant for both irons a little bit because you have to have a little bit knocked off, right? You get sharpened by having those things that aren't so good. So sometimes, well, you hurt my feelings. Well, maybe they needed to be hurt. Now, that doesn't mean that we always go about it the right way. But our intention should be to be provoking, provoking one another to good works, right? That's Hebrews 10. I, I, you know, we, <laughs> we read that in Hebrews a lot. So much that it almost becomes a, a catchphrase for don't miss church. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. Let's go back up and see where this sentence starts. Verse 23. Hebrews 10 and 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Okay? That's the first thing. That we made a profession of faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that we're going to be a follow Him. Hold fast to that! Don't let it go! It's not something that I can pick up today and lay down and it'd be okay. Hold it fast! For... He is faithful that promised. He doesn't change. The faith that you have, that you're believing in what He did and that He's going to be with you, there's no changing with that. So you can't say, well, I'm unhappy with, with how my relationship with God, that God's changed. something. He's let me down. No, He sure has not. Hold fast to our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And, so that's part one, and... Let us consider one another. Be thoughtful of one another. Studying one another. Caring about one another. To do what? To provoke or incite or encourage unto love and to good works. So as you're fellowshipping together, you should be encouraging and inciting one another to more love. That was Paul's prayer to the Philippians. That was my personal reading time this morning. Sometimes I fail at that, y'all. I'm trying to take what I'm teaching and apply it to my own life. I'm not saying I've got it perfectly. I don't Often I miss out on that personal communion time. I may get up and have time with Megan, and I get over here, and I'm studying for a sermon or for a Bible study, and sometimes I get into kind of the, I'm laboring at it, but I'm forgetting to feed and convict me. So I'm not saying I've got this perfect. But this morning, I read my personal time, and I read the book of Philippians, and it was great! It was so encouraging! Sometimes this job can feel like a job, and that's not good for you if this feels like a job to me. But I was reading, and I was so encouraging. You know what he was praying for? This loving church that sent their minister a long way to encourage him. He needed you know, assistance. They sent it. The guy nearly died on the trip. It was a big deal. He sent in a thank you back letter. What is, he, what is his prayer for them? That this really good and really loving church would do what? That they would love more! And to grow in knowledge more. And in discernment and judgments. The word judgment, but the package of all that is that you have discernment. So you can see what is excellent. There are many good ways to spend your time. But brothers and sisters, if we're prioritizing right, we'll choose the most excellent. Right? So we're learning about discernment. Provoke one another to love to good works. Verse 25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some is. There is a temptation to think, well, my relationship with the Lord is just one-on-one. I don't need anybody else. That is not how he set up his church. This is not a solo sport. All right? There are sports in the Olympics. There's just one person. They're competing. They do great. They fail. Whatever. No, that's not how he set this up. This is a team. And this ain't even a relay race. We're all running together and encouraging one another. So don't forsake the assembly. If the assembly is gathered together, go! That is the best use of your time. But exhorting one another, that's encouraging, inviting, and so much more as you see the day approaching. What day is that referring to? As you see the day of Christ approaching, when He comes back, more and more, encouraging in love and good works, gathering together, worshiping God, exhorting one another, encouraging one another, as you can see the day approaching. When time stops, all practical purposes, that's the end of time. Time's up. 
Right? Time's a measurement between two points. Well, after the day of Christ, it really doesn't matter. There's no ending point. Okay? Provoking one into the good endurance. So, so part of building your day and thinking about your time is how am I going to worship God, glorify God individually, personally, and with others? And there's two elements to that. There's one with those within the church, and then there are those that are outside the church. And there's two very different needs, right? Ones who are already professed their love of Christ and are following after Him, they need encouragement because just like you, they're sinners. They get distracted. They get down. Be a good example. Be an encourager. How about those that are outside the church? Right? Well, they need to hear the good news. And you need to be capable of sharing it. Right? Our outside ministry should be more than, well, you just need to come to church with me. Well, what would I hear if I got there? You should be able to answer that. The good news of Jesus Christ. Do I expect you to have everything, chapter and verse, locked down? No. Not at this point. Let's talk again in five years. We'll see. But you have the good news of Jesus Christ. You have it. You're personally involved in it. We need to be able to articulate that. Okay? Will has a familiarity with tractors that I, I, can't, I can't speak it. I don't live it. It doesn't... A lot of what he says is, I've got to look at it. What do, what do Hickey are you talking about here? It's not part of my life, and so I can't speak it yet. Sometimes in our Christian walk, the gospel's not part of our life yet! We've been born again, but Lord, if we just keep it over here in a box and over on these few hours for these few days and everything else, it doesn't matter. Y'all, that ain't right. It ain't good. It should be part of our life. Every moment and every day. It should affect how we interact and what we say and what we do and how we spend our time. Okay? So, how will I reach out to someone in my life and I'm not just saying the chance meetings in Walmart, that's fine if you've got that ability. But more often than not, it's the people that are already in your life that you've chosen to just kind of... There's someone, there's a scenario, the Lord opened doors to share the good news for His sheep who need to hear it. Spend that time and be ready to answer. Right? How can you get that? Right? Spend the time in the Word. <laughs> Prepare. Okay, so that's, that is one piece of spending our time. It's directly in communion with the Lord, in worship of the Lord, in service of the Lord. That's one piece. Okay? What would I rank by my understanding of Scripture would come underneath that as the second priority? I would say family. Those that God has entrusted you as His steward in the care and responsibility of that you need to give time to them. You need to spend your Lord's time on Him first and then on those that He's put into your care. Okay? Family time. And so as you wake up in the morning thinking, how many minutes am I going to invest in my family today? How many minutes? And I'm talking about real time. I'm talking about quality time where I'm engaged where I'm there, I'm focused. Not where I'm physically sitting there, but I'm so exhausted. Or I'm thinking about other things that I'm not really there. How can I lead my spouse or my children or whoever it is in my family that I'm encouraging that day, ministering to, serving them, if I'm not giving them my attention, not giving them my love, right? So something to consider, if I'm actively got my personal time with the Lord and I'm married, then I need to build in a time with my spouse and the Lord in Bible study and in prayer. If I'm the husband, that's my job as a leader to make sure that my wife is learning and that our marriage is founded, founded, rooted and founded in the Word of Truth. If it's founded on anything else, y'all, it's on sinking sand. And the storms of this world are going to knock it. If I have children, 
I need to be putting a priority on having a family time of devotion. And I would say this is in addition to spousal time where you're teaching and admonishing and guiding your children. Parents have the primary responsibility for training their children. That's not me. That's not teacher. It's parents. Okay? Particularly in spiritual things. Can I really do that if I'm not intentionally making time to do that? Again, I'm preaching the choir here because often Megan will do that in the course of their homeschooling day where they have Bible time, but do I follow up again in the evenings with another family devotion time? Often that gets missed. I need to do better in that. Okay? I need to be intentionally focused on how I'm spending my minutes with my family because the best use of the time with them is in the Word with them. Okay? And ultimately, I need to remember that as a leader in the family, I'm my family's servant. That's, that's the model for leadership in the Scripture. It's a servant leader. You're there to minister to them all. all right? And so I need to be considering this day, how am I going to teach and what am I going to teach? It should be intentional. right? How am I going to encourage their walk with the Lord? It's not just teaching in general. Megan has that responsibility, teaching in general. <laughs> But I need to teach about the things of the Lord. He's going to work on their hearts, but I need to be preparing, teaching their minds, so that when the Lord does work in their heart, that they're, they've got all this treasured up, right? pouring into them. Um, Deuteronomy 6, 7-9 gives you a real vivid picture about the importance of teaching our children. Deuteronomy 6, verses 7-9 and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. This is talking about the Lord's commandments and the law, but teaching about Him. The same applies to us, that we have to teach them. You shall teach them diligently. That word diligently is interesting. It literally means to pierce. Right? It kind of gives me the idea of like a tattoo where you're piercing in and it stays with you. All right? Teaching diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thy house. So if you're sitting in your house, you're talking about the things of the Lord. When you're walking by the way, when you're in the car ride going, are you talking about the things of the Lord? When thou liest down, when it's bedtime, are you praying together? When you're rising up, are you praying together? Thou shalt bind them for a sign upon your hand. That's like carrying a flag that says, I'm following Christ. And for frontlets between thy eyes, it's like it's on your forehead that God and Christ and His Word are that important to you and that your children can see that. That takes a lot of effort, right? That takes some time. Is it worth it? Yeah! It's His time. Use it in His labors. Alright? So, we've gone through two priorities. Time with God directly. Time serving those that He's put under your care and charge, your family. Third one, it's a big one. A lot of hours spent on this, and this is this is times of labor. Okay? And the question I want you to consider is how many minutes or hours am I willing to sell in order to have funds to care for my family's needs? Because there's a trade-off. For every additional hour that you're working to earn funds, it's time that's not being spent in seeking God first, directly and in being sent with your family. Okay? It's a consideration. And there is a real danger, boys, as you grow up to be men, there is a danger of overworking. Okay? What do I mean by overworking? I mean where you're spending so many, so many hours chasing money that you are neglecting your time with God directly and you're neglecting your family. Okay? Go to Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Often we jump into this psalm and just go to verse 3. Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb and is His reward. Oh, it's great! Children are from God and they're wonderful! Read the whole thing. Verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, they labor in vain that build it. That house is your life. Everything that you're doing, your career, what you're managing, your spousal relationship, your relationship with your kids, everything about your life, except the Lord builds it, they labor in vain that build it. That person who's laboring hard, they could be laboring really hard 
putting a lot of effort into it, being really diligent. But the Lord's not in the matter. Why is the Lord not in the matter? Probably because you're not seeking the Lord. You're not doing things that glorify Him. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. Verse 2, It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows. That word sorrows literally means toils, labors, <coughs> grievous effort. So it's, it's vain to rise up early, to sit up late, eating those breads of sorrows, for he giveth his beloved sleep. So there's a balance. It's not saying run yourself into the ground, burning both ends of the candle, trying to do it all. It's too much. Verse 3, low children are a heritage of the Lord. You have to have time to be there for those children. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're given from the Lord and the fruit of the womb are His reward. You want Him building the house? Take care of what He's given. Value it. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that have his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. You've got this wonderful highlight of, of the beauty of family as God's designed it. And the recognition is that you can neglect it by putting too much hours, selling too many of the Lord's minutes, seeking sorrows, bread of sorrows, the toil, the cares of this world. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now go go back to Matthew 6. We really we just need that whole thing. Matthew 6 and a verse 24 is where we start. And the concept I want you to be thinking about is is, is caring too much about the labors of this world. No man can serve two masters. Matthew 6 and 24. No man can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and the pursuit of money and earthly riches. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to serve the money, it says you're going to hate God. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is the life is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Take no thought. Don't have the cares and anxieties over the eating and the drinking and the clothing. Right? These, these are your daily needs, right? I'm supposed to provide these for your family. Yes, but it's got to be in perspective. Take no thought for your life. Behold the fowls of the air. So we're looking at the birds. They don't sow, they're not out planting crops or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Do the birds eat kids? Yeah. Are you better than birds? Did Jesus come and save the birds? No! He came and saved His children. And yet He feeds them. Do you think He's not also going to feed you? He will! Which of you, by taking thought, so here's the value of worry, right? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto a stature? I really wanted to be six feet tall when I was still growing. I really did. And I, for all my worry and wanting, I could not get six feet tall. It just didn't happen. I quit growing. And by stressing over it, I can't change a thing. I don't have that power. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit under a stature? No one. And why take ye thought for raiment? What are we going to wear? Consider the lilies of the field. Look at the flowers out there. They're so pretty. Do they grow and toil or spin? Do they make their clothing? No. But it says their clothing's better than all that Solomon had. If God so clothed the grass, which today is and tomorrow is just cast in the oven, shall he not more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Every normal person, every man who's been bored cares about those things. He's saying that you can be different. Because you get to know that your Heavenly Father knows you need these things. And that He's going to provide them. Because that's when 33 says, Your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. But, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and of God, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. They'll be given unto you. You'll have what you 
need. It may not be what you want. Your wants may be wrong. Often our wants are wrong. They're misplaced and caring too much about the here and now. Take therefore, because of all that, take no thought for the morrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Redeem the time now. Don't spend your time wasting worrying about tomorrow. Don't feel like, I've got to work more, and I've got to work more, and I've got to work more in order, because I've got all these, these needs, and I can't go to church, or I can't do this, or whatever. No. Seek His kingdom. Seek His righteousness first. He's going to care for you. He's going to provide for you. You may not feel that and you may not believe that at this moment, but that's what God's Word says. And so I can stand assured on the truth and authority of His Word. And so in that respect, if you can't feel that at this moment, your feelings are wrong. And Lord, like that father cried, Lord, help my unbelief. The little boy who needed to be healed, the disciples couldn't heal him. They took him to Jesus. He said, Oh, ye of little faith, how long shall I be with you? And they wanted to know, why couldn't they heal him? This one comes out just by prayer and fasting, but he cast him out and asked the Father, Do you believe? He says, Lord, I do believe, but help thou mine unbelief. There's portions of us that need that help. So I pray that the Lord will help you to believe that, that if you're seeking the kingdom first and God's righteousness, He's going to take care of your physical needs. If He has already provided for your eternal life, don't you think He's going to take care of the temporary one? So, if I'm charged with seeking God's righteousness and His kingdom first, and I know that I I have to labor. I'm not saying don't work. But I need to set boundaries. I need to set expectations. And I need to do it in conformance with God's words of what is a reasonable amount of hours that I sell to get funds. And I can help myself in that, of making that a lower number, by not accumulating unreasonable debts, ones that I can't service under my current income at my current level. If I can't pay for it and I've got to work more and work more, then I was not wise in accruing that debt. So don't allow debts to accrue that you can't uh, handle um, at your current reasonable workload. And recognize this. This may be hard for some people here. No job is sacred. Okay? Does it prevent you from performing your first two priorities of to God and to your family? If those often have to come beneath that job, then that job is a problem. It can either be changed or it can be left. No job is sacred. Something that's sacred is that which is worshipped. Well, I'm devoted to my job. You just told me you're worshipping your job. Well, I'm called to do such and such. If you are called to do such and such and it prevents you from serving God first and serving your family, I submit to you, you weren't called by God to do it. You may have been called, maybe yourself and maybe something else, but it wasn't God doing the calling. He doesn't call you to go worship and glorify something else. Okay? So, and other things you can think about is efficiency. Working hard, well, am I working in a way that maximizes my output so I can minimize my time? So there are ways you can tweak how you labor so I can get more accomplished. And often that's being more diligent and having less kind of slack time so that I can work overall less time. Okay. Now, there is a close link between labor and what I'm going to categorize as the fourth one, and that is physical rest. God created your bodies to require physical rest. And so the question we have to ask is, am I giving my body enough rest? Now, if you don't think this is important, in God's creation, He set up a pattern of taking one day aside to rest. Now, under the Old Testament law, they were commanded, it was very strict, they had to observe the Sabbaths. And I say that, that was the one in the week, there was the new months, there were different, all these various things. And so in the New Testament, you say, you're not under the Old Testament law, you don't have to observe the Sabbaths. But, is it wise for you to follow the pattern that God Set all the way back at creation of taking a day, and here we set aside the Lord's day, the first day of the week, give it directly to Him and how you worship, and then resting with your physical bodies. Would I submit to you that that's wise? Absolutely. 
You know, what are some signs that I've gone too far and I'm not giving my body enough rest? Well, am I, am I too tired to play with my little kids? Am I too tired to sit and have a conversation with my spouse? If I am uh, too tired to read my Bible, <laughs> if I'm always looking for those extra shifts and extra side hustles and that's the most important thing, regardless of how tired it makes me, that's probably a problem too. Do I fall asleep while actually having a conversation with someone? Or here on the pew, do you know? If I'm falling asleep anywhere other than my bed, there may be a problem. There may be a medical issue too. I'm not being all encompassing here, but there may be a problem with me not getting enough rest. Okay, God described the Sabbath. Jesus was, you know, they were getting on to the disciples for, you know, mashing some, you know, grain together and eating it on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees were all up in arms. And He instructed them, saying that. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees are like, well, you've got to observe the Sabbath. It's like they were worshiping the Sabbath. He says, no, it's the other way around, Bubba. God created the Sabbath so that man would have that time of rest. And so rest is important. You know, How do you spend that extra time on your Sunday afternoon? If you're using it for extra time just to work, I'm going to submit to you that's probably not the best use of your time. You probably need to rest. All right? And again, that involves studying God's Word to see where that balance is. Because guess what, guys? There are ditches, right? You can say, well, I don't have any problem with overworking and I like rest. So much so that I don't work at all and I sleep 12 hours a day, right? That's the other ditch, right? That's, that's, you know, go read Proverbs. Look for words like idleness, sloth, sluggard. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's another ditch. And so this, this involves discernment. Of, Lord, how can I apply your word here and in now and have the right balance and glorify you in my life? That does not say, go home and sleep all the time. Preacher said, I need to rest. Well, rest for 16 hours today and get up tomorrow and do another 16 just in case. Not saying that. And, you know, maybe this is not a problem that adults tend to struggle with, but maybe if you're a child, maybe you're a teenager and you don't really like laboring in your education. Well, I want to put minimal time in my education and max into sleeping. And y'all, met, y'all are just now getting it there. But, you know, I remember those times when it was like 12 o'clock on Saturday and I was really grumpy. Somebody woke me up. <laughs> How dare you? And man, I was, I was not a pleasant child. Right? But that's, that's going too far to the other way. right? We need to labor in our studies. Right, kids? That's y'all's job. I want to see some eyeballs. Yes. At this age, you're not working. That's not your primary job. Your primary labor is in your studies. And so you need to be given the appropriate amount of time and effort in that, not being idle, not devoting everything to sleep. All right, there's your plugs for your homeschooling moms. All right, but I'm serious. Read Proverbs, and you will see a balance. We'll see a balance between overworking and not working enough, between being lazy and being diligent. And it's just a matter of figuring out where in my life, Lord, am I not there yet? Show me, and then what? Have the courage to do it, like Brother Parrish prayed this morning. That I've got to apply it. Head knowledge is fine, but it doesn't really show up unless I take it and run with it. Okay? All right? So we've got four categories we've gone through. Direct communion and devotion with God. Right? We've got time with family. We've got time that we've got to spend in our labor. Whether that's a job or whether that's education or whatever it is. There's physical rest. And then I'm going to give you what I'm just kind of doing this catch-all last category that I would describe as Recreation, diversion, entertainment, vacations, whatever it is, that kind of other category, right? And within that, I think you could really break it into two. One will be active and one is inactive as far as what is, what is preferred. You know, if you've got an active activity, it's got some, you know, physical movement in it, well, that's good for the God, body that God's given you. If you're having, you know, an active conversation with somebody, it may not be directly spiritually related, but you're interacting with your family. Um, that's great. Um, if you're being productive, you could be out working on your landscaping. Whatever it is, there are those things that you can be doing and recreating in where there's some level of mental stimulation and positive return on it. And then there's the other level that's really just garbage. Like it's kind of like the the high fructose current corn syrup of spending your time. Like there's really no return on your investment. It's just that. Turning on the TV and just vegging out. Well, we're all sitting together. It's family time. You haven't said a word to each other in two hours and you're vegging out. I wouldn't say that's really quality family time. That's vegging out together. But 
You know, so there's kind of inactive, mind-numbing, passive things. The things that you just fill your time with, <coughs> scrolling on tablets or phones, um, movies, video games, kids, uh, 24-hour news, not a whole lot of mental stimulation there, just emotional, trying to get your blood pressure up. Sports, again, watching. There's, there's some return for actively engaging in it and using your body, but... Just watching, binge-watching anything. Um, this is what I'd kind of say is that that's the lowest priority. All right? Y'all, we need to be known for our moderation. Let your moderation be known. And for your self-control. Temperance. <coughs> the ability to say, these things aren't inherently evil, but in large quantities, they're not helpful. Okay? Choosing how I'm going to spend the Lord's time. I don't really want to have to account for the minutes that I've wasted on Netflix. <laughs> or whatever it is. Whatever your, your, your preference where, where those hours just get, or minutes just wasted away. Right? Flittered away. Um, so y'all remember the food pyramid? They probably changed it since now. But when I was a kid, like you had your grains at the bottom of the top. You had your sugars. And the idea was that you'd have less time on those little things or less amount. Right? So this kind of recreation and diversion stuff, that would be the little sugar at the top. All right? It's the lowest priority and it's the least time. Okay? Why? Because it glorifies and praises God the least. Most often what we're watching is not glorifying. It's not edifying. If anything, it hinders us. You know, if we're watching raunchy movies with exposed people and foul language, I mean, yeah, I'm ready to go serve the Lord. No. I'm wrapped up in the world and in carnality. Okay? So even in your diversion times, we should be glorifying God. Now you can you can add these things together. So well, okay, well, I've got to do this project and I got want my family to be with me, and so we're all working together on a project. You got three for one. That's an efficient use of time. <laughs> so I'm going to take the boys and we're going to go down to Brother Dean's and we're going to work on a landscaping project for him and Sister Renita and we're going to bought and Zach's going to come with us. So we got family too and outside the church, this is, this is an efficient use of time, right? <laughs> so thinking about how we spend the Lord's time. Now the world will tell you, and this is most common, I would say example you'll see, is that work is most important. I've got my hours that I'm scheduled to work and these are... Solid. This is where they're going to be. I'm going to be 8 to 5. That's the most important thing. I build my day around that. And after that, it's going to be recreation. What do I want to do? What sports do I want to watch? What you know, hobbies do I have? When am I going to fish in? I'm going to fit that in second. And then some rest because I need to relax. And then with whatever's left, you know, okay, family time. Yeah, sure. We'll get through that. And that's really how it's framed. It's just kind of uh, a drudgery. Can't wait for those kids to go back to school because, heaven help, I have to interact with them. And then finally, if there's anything left and I'm not too tired and it's not raining and it's not inconvenient and the preacher I like saying things that I like, I might go to church. And I might read my Bible once and I might just kind of open it up and oh, read a verse and oh, the Lord spoke to me and now I can go do what I want to do anyway. Y'all seen, seen that model? <laughs> That's not consistent with Scripture. Okay? And so what I would submit to you is in order of prioritizing how we spend the Lord's time, spend it on the Lord first. Spend it on the family that He's given you in your chair, in your care and stewardship. Work. However that looks like in your life and what that needs to be, but recognize that you're working for Him and caring for those that have been put in your charge. And you may be single right now, so you're in your charge. And then rest. Build that in. And least of all, will be that recreation, those just diversion and entertainments. Okay? Now you go study your Scripture. If you think I'm wrong, go study the Scripture and you come tell me where I'm wrong. I may need to adjust. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but this is what I'm come from my experience in studying the Word. I don't care about my opinion. I don't care about your opinion. Our opinions need to be based and, and 
and found it in the Word. That's how we need to govern our lives. If we're here to glorify and praise Him and seek His will, where is His will revealed? In His revealed Word. Okay? So let's assume you slept eight hours last night. You may not have. Will's grinning. Then that would have left you 960 minutes to spend today. How are you going to spend them? Now you're here this morning. That's great. Good use of your time. All right? We'll go have lunch. We'll fellowship together. We'll come back in. The men are going to share. That's going to be a good use of their time <laughs> and ours. How about the rest of it? Are, are you going to prioritize your time based on your feels, on your emotion, on your perspective, your opinion? Or are you going to begin to prioritize your time based on your study of God's Word and see what glorifies and praises Him the most? That's my charge to you. Now, we talked last time about giving to the Lord, Right? And we said, well, is, is, is 10% the ideal amount? Well, it's a good start. But have you thought about, am I giving at least 10% of my time to the Lord? Wait, what? Well, if I'm awake 960 minutes and I give Him 10% of my time each day, how many minutes is that? 96. That's an hour and a half. Is your time in the Word and serving others for His glory and in prayer... Does it come close to an hour and a half? Or is it woefully less? Now, I'm not saying you got to get up in the morning and read for an hour and a half, but if you think about the combination of the amount of time that I'm praying and I'm reading for me, and the time that I'm praying and reading with a spouse, and time that I'm praying and reading with children, and family devotions, and singing together, when I'm at church, and when I'm with others, when I'm calling and texting and encouraging others, when I'm getting together and having, you know, Ladies' fellowship or time. I mean, all these different avenues of where we can be spending our time going about our Father's business, right? And that's what Jesus said when he was 12, you know, to his mother. Don't you know that I'm supposed to be about my Father's business? Well, you've been adopted by the same Father. And we should be about his business. So maybe that means if, as I'm building out my schedule for the week, I'm going to be intentional about who among the church I'm going to reach out to who I'm going to make time to go have lunch or do something you know just and I can't I can't give you all the examples but y'all understand what I'm saying is that you are given a precious amount of time it's a finite commodity it may not be repeated tomorrow you may not get the rest of the day and so if we're going to steward the Lord's time that he's given us if we're going to give it care and attention and management to please him then we need to spend it in ways that please Him. Alright. And that includes being ready to share the Gospel. That's a good use of your time. Thank y'all for your time and attention. For your time. Anybody have a number you'd like to sing in closing?